take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes, that's what we've been going through, is the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the Old Testament, so to your left of the middle, and um, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and today my inclination would be to read all the way through chapter 2 verse 26. So I'm just giving that to you as a free kind of footnote to the introduction because this whole, this section that we're going to read must really be understood in light of the whole thing. And so I'll get us to the end of that today in some sense, but, but next week it'll all be kind of tied together because today the message title is The Great Search for Meaning. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Before I have you stand and read, let's bow our heads and pray once again. Father, we ask that you would just bless your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Give clarity uh, to what is shared and what is spoken. And uh, may, may you also open our hearts to receive the truth of your word that we may live uh, not only in light of the reality of death, but in the joy and hope of the gospel uh, of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we entrust all of this to you in his name. Amen. The great search for meaning, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12 through 18. Please stand with me as we read the word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I said the title of the message is The Great Search for Meaning, and perhaps another way to phrase that would be The Great Search for Happiness. And when I when I say that, I I want to just ask you this question in the beginning to kind of get you thinking about what Solomon writes here uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What is it that will make you happy in life? What, What is it that will make you happy and satisfied in life. Most of us spend our entire lives, I really should say probably all of us spend our entire lives imagining what will make us ultimately happy and satisfied. Even John Lennon thought of that in his song Imagine when he wrote Dreaming of a World of People Who Are Living in Peace. That was his imagination of a world that is filled with happiness. And so we also, we often think getting to the next thing or going to the next phase in life, that's what will then finally usher in that perfect state of happiness. 
Kids, we all say, want to grow up quickly. They can't wait to be tall enough to ride that roller coaster. So that whole year uh, in between, they're, me- they're having you measure, measure them to see if when Kings Island opens that they'll be able to get on that ride. Children have this innate sense of just can't wait and what will make them ultimately happy is when Christmas arrives and they get that toy uh, that they have been wanting uh, the entire season. Teenagers, they imagine that when they get their license, that will make them ultimately happy. And because they'll be completely free of their parents, only to learn that they will be driving everywhere to do their parents' bidding. <laughs> Juniors and seniors in high school, especially as you're a, if you're a senior in high school, you, you believe that what, what's going to ultimately make you happy is that you'll graduate. You can't wait to start college, to en- enroll in college, or to start that first job and beginning to get on with life because you imagine that will bring you ultimate happiness. Young adults, when they get to college and they start work, they think, man, if I could just get that degree, if I could just get to this level in this job and make this much money, then what will happen? I'll be happy. The young romantic, the the romantic young man thinks if she would just give him the time of day, and will just look at him with an indication of interest, then all of his dreams will come true. Or the young woman who believes that if she could just date him, if he would just take interest in her, then she will be happy. And then that goes from, from, from dating and interest to if I just get married, once I get married, then I'll be happy and we'll share life together and we'll share everything together and then we'll ultimately find true fulfillment. And then when you're married, well, if we have children and if we have this house, if we have this thing, we reach this level, then we'll find happiness. And, and so this pattern just continues, right? We believe that if we can just get out of debt and we can just pay off all our bills and we no longer honor any of that, then, then we'll finally be happy. Our kids will finally leave. They'll leave the nest. They'll, 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 we'll, we'll have an empty house and then we can start back where we were when we first started having kids. And I'm looking at my wife. And then we can travel and we can just do all the things that we didn't get to do when we were younger. Then we'll be happy. Right Then you get a certain stage and you're like, if I just had this much money to retire with and I can retire and I can do these hobbies and I can pursue these interests and, and, and then grandkids. and right, I, I, I mean, I hope that you, you see what, what we're looking at is we're looking at what brings us ultimate happiness. Even Christians, as Christians we do this, we think that, you know, if I just went to this church, if the church had this type of people or these kinds of programs or, 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 or whatever it might be, then, then I would be spiritually happy. And, and so we're constantly wondering or searching for what will satisfy us. And really, you could sum it up like this. All of us seek lives that have the least amount of pain and the maximum amount of happiness. That's what we're after. 
We don't like the aches and pains that come with aging. We don't like the, 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 the prospects of the end of life and all of the things that come with reality because we are searching for a state of permanent happiness. And that brings us to the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the book of Ecclesiastes, if we said through the last couple of weeks, it is written by King Solomon at the end of his life by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we discover here in the book of Ecclesiastes is that this is not a self-help book telling us what to do to have ultimate happiness. And so perhaps you've already been disappointed. Solomon is making us do something that we do not like to do. You know what he's doing? He's making us think. He's making us put our phones down, shut off the social media, stop the scrolling, stop the searching, stop the reeling, and actually think about what really brings happiness and peace and meaning to life. And the reality is, is that Solomon, who calls himself the preacher, is speaking the people of God, and he intends to correct the idea that we will find something in this world that will ultimately satisfy us. What he does in the book of Ecclesiastes is he kind of pushes us off balance. He gives us a kind of spiritual vertigo. He wants to upset our plans. He wants to frustrate our thoughts of positivity. He really wants to destroy our quest of self-discovery. And he shows you that in verse three, in verse two, which we said last week, the thesis of the book, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And we said that the word vanity is havel, which means breath, smoke, vapor, mist. And so in essence, the thesis of this book is life is short. It's not permanent. You can't control it. And you cannot make life produce what you want. And so if you want happiness and you think you're going to harness life, if you think you're going to take control of life and you're going to make it, you're going to make life make you happy, it's not going to happen. Our brief life under the sun is like a day at the beach. Eventually the tide erases everything and takes you and everything that you have accumulated with it away. That's why in verse 4 or verse 3, the leading question is, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Is there something, in other words, Solomon says, is there something that will satisfy us in life? And the short answer is no, there's nothing that will. And he proves it. In verses 3 through 11, showing us through the poetic, through his poetry, the repetitions of nature and the replacement of generations that a generation goes and then it's replaced by another, he shows you that there is no lasting profit in all of our toil and endeavor because the world is a messed up place and it's been messed up because of sin. In fact, the fundamental problem of the world that Solomon is going to present is this. You know what it is? It's death. That's the fundamental problem. The problem is that the world is marked by death. And because of this death and the fact that everything comes to this ultimate end makes life hard. It makes life difficult. It fills life with sorrows. 
and impermanence. And the reason why we're repeating that today is because it's highlighted in verse 1 through 11. And it's because we need to get this soaked into our souls. We need to get it soaked into our souls that death marks everything. And here's why. Because then, as we said last week, we'll stop pretending that we can actually find some kind of permanent satisfaction in this life through this world. And then what we'll see is, is that the reality of death teaches us how to live. One author says this. He says this, far from being something that makes life in the presence, in the present completely pointless, future death is a light God shines in the present to change it. Did you hear that? Death changes the way we live, doesn't it? Death can radically enable us to enjoy life. By relativizing all that we do in our days under the sun, death can change us from people who want to control life for gain into people who receive life as a gift. And to some degree, he says, that is the main message of Ecclesiastes, that life in God's world is a gift, it is not gain. And Solomon now is going to continue to demonstrate this. And in verses 12 through 18, the key truth is this. If you've not written it down, write it down. All human beings spend their lives seeking to be happy only to face the problem of death. But what he's going to do is, is he's going to now prove this point by telling you about his own search for happiness and meaning. And he'll do that all the way through chapter 2, verse 26. Solomon sought permanent satisfaction. And do you know where he sought it? Right? I mean, he's looked at nature. He's looked at reality. And we can be like, yeah, okay, we get that. We see, we, we know, like, you know, one generation goes, another one comes. We see the patterns of repetition in, in nature. But now he's going to speak personally. And what he's going to do is he's going to show you that he himself sought permanent satisfaction through education. He sought it through pleasure. He sought it through kingdom building. He thought it through wealth that he accumulated. He sought it through power that he gained, successes that he accomplished. And basically, he got everything that the world could possibly offer. And in his search, he found that there was no lasting happiness because in the end, we all die. And so to get our bearings in this great search... We're going to look at two things. One, we're going to look at the search of the king and everyone. And then we're going to look at the school of wisdom. Those are the two things we're going to look at. Don't get too excited because there's several things under each of one of those. Okay, so, but we're going to start there with the search of the king and everyone. See if you can relate to Solomon. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Notice in the search of the king that the first thing he does is that he presents this announcement of who he is. This is the first time he mentions his name. And so what he's done is, is he suddenly changed his tone and his point of view. And so rather than writing as he's already done in the first 11 verses, uh, as, as he explored the thesis like a poet and a philosopher, he now writes like a person, a human being, who has experienced life like the rest of us. Hence the personal pronoun I. 
I, Solomon, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun or under heaven. And so he switches to the first person of you using the pronoun I because what he wants to do is he wants to personally connect with those that are listening to him, those that are reading. And at first, as you read through this, doesn't it look like he's boasting? I applied my heart to seek to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And then you go down to verse 15, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who over Jerusalem before me. My heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. As you're reading through that, doesn't it seem like he's boasting? After all, this feature can be seen in other royal writings found in the ancient Near East. Kings and monarchs, when they would come to the end of their life and they were begin kind of writing their autobiographies, what they would often do is boast about their accumulation of wealth and their accomplishments in life. And often what they would do is brag that of the peoples that they conquered and even the gods that they supposedly defeated. Now, what does that tell you about what Solomon writes? Pretty different, isn't that, isn't it pretty different? It isn't so- Solomon announces that he is the king, and in doing so, he seems to be very honest, very transparent, very humble. Because Solomon is writing not to boast of himself, but to benefit the people of God with the truth of God, because he is the spokesman of God. And so you have a, really you have humility here. And from one angle, he's the king, but if you read the rest of it, didn't matter much, did it? Didn't matter much that he's the king. And he doesn't mind telling you that it's all vanity. Everything he's about to describe to you, that it's all vanity, that it was all breath, that it was all temporary, that, that all of it did not achieve what the human heart might want it to achieve. And so, you remember Jack and Titanic? That line, all of us have reenacted at one point, when he goes to the, the, the front of the boat and he yells, I am the king of the world. Who cares? <laughs> he yells that to the ocean, which like, like, right, like in 24 hours is going to like swallow him. I mean, it's kind of what Solomon is doing. I'm the king in Jerusalem. But in the end, that didn't matter. In the end, that didn't undo the way the world is. In the end, that didn't change the impermanence of life. That didn't change the reality of death. And so he, he, he states his credentials because he's a, he wants you to pay attention. That despite all he explored and all that he experienced, he was not able to extend his life a single second or change a world that has been cursed by death. The modern day equivalent would be like to, to the way he approaches this or writes is, is like us watching Downton Abbey. I like Downton Abbey. I love historical dramas. War and Peace, if you're familiar with, with uh, War and Peace. Or, or The Crown, that's a new one that we're watching. And what I enjoy about those shows is that 
though it's exploring royalty and people that are in places of life that I'll never be, what I find interesting is, is at the end, it, it doesn't matter if you're the king in Jerusalem or you're the monarch in London or you're just living in Chillicothe, Ohio, our experiences in life ultimately render the same results. And then there's a way that we can connect to the humanity and the reality of that. And, and, and so there is something instructive about seeing that all people, no matter who they are or where they are, share these same, this, this same reality as we do in the world. I, the preacher had been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Doesn't matter that it's in Jerusalem because he's interacted with kings and, and princes and princesses from all over the world's empires. And yet, even as he has interacted and studied and even as he has had all sorts of experiences, his conclusion is nonetheless the same. And so that's his announcement that he's going to search. But then if you look at verse 13, he tells you his approach. He's applied his heart. To seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. He has applied his heart to search by wisdom all that is done under the sun. And, and so because of his intellect, his resources, and if you go to Kings, you'll see the wisdom that God gave him. The, the insight of divine revelation. All of this combined, he takes and he goes on the quest of a lifetime to search for the meaning of life. To search for the fountain of youth. And in the journey he's going to take you on from verse 12 all the way to chapter 2 verse 26. This is not going to be some trip down the river like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. But instead what it's going to do, it is going to be a journey that will reveal the truth of reality. Solomon is the wisest man in the world. Because God gave him wisdom and discernment. And additionally, Solomon has sound intellect and he has solid common sense. Solomon understood how things worked. He's intentional. And that's what he means when he says, I applied my heart. He's intentionally looking. He's not just floating down the stream. He is intentionally looking and observing as he's going through these experiences of life. That's so important. It's so important to see that he is aware and he is alert about life as he is living it. Do you know why that's important? Because we're not. Particularly in our day, because we are constantly distracted. We are constantly caught up in the moment. Whether it's through our technology, whether it's through entertainment, or whatever it might be, we don't stop and think about the realities of life. And so most importantly, he has the word of God, the truth of God. And the truth of God is always framing his existence even when he drifts from God in that, in that certain stretch of his life. It's the truth that brings him back to God and then he's able to write by the Holy Spirit the truth that is here in Ecclesiastes. And for that reason, we need Solomon and we need his book of wisdom. He, as our Lord will do with greater clarity, reminds us that this world is not our permanent home. And we better, we better not expect anything in this realm to give us lasting satisfaction. If you do, you will 
find that your hope is in the wrong thing. And so you need to read these verses in light of that. And, 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 and if you look at chapter 2, go, go to chapter 2 and just go down to verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Notice that he says then, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now, do you see how the truth of God is framing things? In other words, the reality of God frames things, and you need to keep that in mind so you don't reach some ridiculous conclusion as we go through these verses. Because you could say, well, it's, you know what? That's right. The problem is money. The problem is pleasure. It's food and drink and power and success and, and it's stuff. That's not what he's saying. Do you realize that he never renounces any of that? He never renounces any of that. Instead, you should note that he tells us that these things do not solve the dilemma of death. It does not solve the, the, the realities of life. And that these things do not grant ultimate satisfaction. If you pay attention to Solomon, he will be a guide and a sage that teaches us how to enjoy life as a gift from God and live in light of death and what is to come. And so that's his approach. He applies his heart to seek and to search out by wisdom, but you need to know how he does that. And then notice, to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. In other words, is there something under the sun that will render ultimate satisfaction? And I want you to notice in the latter part of verse 13, he gives you his assessment. Now this is going to sound like what you've already read before, but what's the difference? This is his personal conclusion. He's saying, this is my assessment based on my experience. And it matches what we see in nature and what we see in, in reality. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. And it's a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. So notice what he did there. He assesses his search for meaning and he gives you three clear assessments. Here they are. This is the wisdom applied. So he's going to just kind of lay his cards out in the beginning. First, he's going to tell you God governs the world and has given man an unhappy business. Now do you see that? Now that's different than Richard Dawkins' conclusion, isn't it? Right? He didn't say, well, you know, we're just protoplasm floating through the universe and so nothing really matters. No, what he said was, is that it is God, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He sees death, he sees futility, and the preacher makes his first mention of God. And it's not in the manner in which we expect. He uses the Hebrew word Elohim. He tells us about the God who is the sovereign one. It's God who governs the world who has authority over everything under the sun. God is the one who has ordained things as they are. Did you hear that? This isn't some cotton candy version of God. All the bad business in life is part of God's general will. 
Nothing has happened that is outside of the perimeters of his ordained decrees for all of history. And you know what? Not only is it that God is the one who has ordained things as they are, God will not lift the vanity of life. All the bad business is a part of his general will. And you may say, preacher, where does that come from? Go to Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3. This won't be on the screen. You'll have to go there with me. Genesis 3. After the fall. Verse 14. Here is Adam and Eve covering their sin and rebellion with fig leaves. And here's what God says to them. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. Above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Look at verse 17. And Adam, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you, what, return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And Solomon will quote that same line later in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so what do you see there? Because of sin, death, and futility mark life under the sun. One author writes, God did not stop the unhappy business of paradise lost. If you think that you're going to escape or gain immunity from the sorrows of life, guess what? Solomon is telling you, you're mistaken. Because it is God who is over the sorrows and the difficulties of life. Do you know that even Jesus affirmed this? He, calls, he, he tells the disciples that God causes the sun to shine and, to, and the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. John 16, In this world, believer, you will have what? tribulation, trouble. It doesn't mean that they're not good things. But those good things that we experience in life do not cancel out the bad. There will be suffering and sorrow, injustice. There will be stubbed toes. There will be miscarriages. There will be heart attacks. There will be disappointment appointments. And ultimately, there will be death. And so if you're trying to rescue yourself from all of this, by building some kind of false sandcastle of happiness, it will be a more miserable business for you. And so we must accept the reality that it is God, and this is good news for us, that God governs the world and has given us this unhappy business, because did you see in verse 15 of Genesis 3, even in the unhappy business of the curse, He is also given a glorious promise. That one will one day come and he will crush the serpent's head and he will lift the curse that is upon this fallen realm and he will redeem sinners by his work. 
And so God governs the world and has given man a happy business. But notice the second part of the assessment. You can't, the, the second thing that he shows you is, is that we can't change or control life. Look at verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and is striving after the wind. Now he uses the same phrase of verse 3. All is breath, all is temporary, all is elusive. Right? But then he adds something that's going to be repeated throughout. Striving after the wind. And so here what he's telling you is, is that yes, life is short, but trying to control it or change this? Trying to change the reality that we're in a cursed world? It's like hurting the wind. That's the Hebrew, that's the Hebrew equivalent. You can't catch the wind. Try it. Try it right now. Try try to grab the wind right now. Try to grab the air. Organize it. Put it on a list. Right? Can you do that? We'll start hitting each other if we try to do that. So, so the the word actually means herding. It's a it's an agriculture. It's it's a agrarian term. It's something that farmers do. Herd cattle. Farmers, what do you do? What is herding? It's managing cattle. It's directing them. It's bringing them in. And depending on the creature, it gets more difficult. Right? Sheep are stubborn. Goats, never had goats, but I hear they're, they're, I, I hear they're difficult. You ever tried to herd chickens? It's not possible, is it? Or at least it's difficult. You know, the hardest of them all is kids. Kids are like herding cats. Except Gus. But that's, that's my cat. They are. I tell my family, you know what? In order to get, just to get, when they were little especially, just to get the kids in the car, I would literally say, we have 30 minutes. It will take 30 minutes to get five children into the car. It's so difficult. Right? That means you get 30 minutes early. It, it, it's, it's, it, it is. It's like herding cats. And so this concept of herding the wind, you, you, can't, you can't grab a hole. It's ungraspable. You can't pin the wind down. You can't control it. And so when it comes to life, that's what he's saying. The reason why the song says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is because you can't grab a hold of the wind and control it and pin it down. Life never turns out the way we actually want it to. And even when it does, isn't it somewhat disappointing? Again, I'm not trying to take away, you're like, man, this is depressing. No, I'm not trying to take away from the joys of life. This is reality. And that leads to the third thing. We must accept our limitations. That's what he's getting at. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. It can't be done. If God has made things crooked, if God has ordained for there to be a curse in the world, you think you're going to change that? You think you're going to alter that? You can't. What is lacking cannot be counted. You can't make straight what God made crooked. And you say, well, I don't like crooked. That sounds bad. That's because you're under the sun and you're not God. But whatever God does is always good. And so God has ordained for there to be life under the sun in this way because there is an end and a purpose to all the madness. And because He's God, you can trust Him.
And so, maybe what Solomon is doing in verse 14 and 15 is giving us one of the flat end of the puzzle pieces. Maybe we need this piece. And maybe this piece is just to recognize that God is God and I am not. He is sovereign. I am not. He is in control. I am not. And He is good. And we can rest in that. There is meaning and purpose to the vanity. And on this side of the cross, we know that we have, we have a more of the big picture because only God can rescue us from sin and death. All right, so with these things in mind, notice that verse 15 is a, is a little proverb, right? That's how you know you're at the end of the thought. And then in verse 16, he gives you another statement. And now he's going to start us on his quest. Verse 16. I said in my heart. I've acquired great wisdom. Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so now what he does is. His search of the king and everyone else. Turns him to the first place he'd like to stop. The school of wisdom. He goes somewhere very familiar to us. He goes to the university. Not Monsters Inc. Not the Ohio State University. He goes to the University of Jerusalem and the University of Life. He goes somewhere that is familiar to us. And he says, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were before me in Jerusalem. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so notice his degrees and his experience that he expounds on. If you study Solomon's life, all through his reign, he sought more and more wisdom. He had more and more knowledge. He studies and he grows in this wisdom and knowledge. He had access to the most, the greatest books, to the best of education. And it says that he applied his heart to study it. I would assume what he means by that is perhaps he studied physics and astronomy and biology and general science and philosophy and theology. Isn't that what it says? In in verse 17, I applied myself to know wisdom and to know what else? Madness and folly. Now there's a moral connection there that he's perhaps studied law and ethics. I got a feeling he studied social sciences because that's the folly he's referring to. Sorry, that's just me reading into it. Psychology, humanities. In other words, he's an expert in the universe. He's an expert about the world. And he's an expert about self and people. And I want you to keep in mind that it's not only the general knowledge he gets from his studies, but it's also informed by his own experience and the wisdom God has given him. He had wisdom from God. He consumes all the degrees and all the experiences of knowledge that we would want. And then notice in verse 17, he's determined to get an answer for his quest. Is there something lasting? Can education, can knowledge, can wisdom produce something that we can grab a hold of and will give us not only the meaning of life, but will answer all the problems of life? That's why he says he applied his heart. He's serious about this. And from all that he learned, he hoped to gain some light. You know, it doesn't matter what era of history we are in. Education has always been upheld as most important. You know that, right? Greeks, the Romans, Egyptians. I mean, it doesn't matter where we are in the empires of the world. 
And today is no different. We're told the same thing. Education will save us. The more we know, right? Mr. T said on Saturday mornings, I watch the cartoons every Saturday. The more you know, we'll unlock all the keys to life. I don't even, I don't remember anything Mr. T said. Education will save us. Elites in our own society believe that education will unlock all the answers to life. It will open the doors socially. It will open the doors economically. Kids, young people. I mean, I speak from my own experience. The youngest of the young, from the youngest age, we are told that we must go to college, choose a degree, select a career that matches our abilities and interests, and then earn a degree. Prove yourself. Be the top of your class. I mean, this is in, this is ingrained in people in our in our society. As a teacher, when I was a school teacher, I would meet with kids that were losing their ever-loving minds because of pressures from parents and society about making sure that they would reach success. Adults boast about the colleges they attend or the degrees that they've received. And listen, I, I think Solomon would say that education is good. I believe it's good. That learning is important, whether it's college or whether it's trade or something else. But but here's what I want you to get at. Here's what I want you to see. That's not why Solomon sought wisdom in education. He sought wisdom in education because he was seeing if it could render the answer to the quest for happiness and fulfillment and solve the curse that is in the world. It was to see if there would be anything lasting, anything permanent, any hope that could be found. And that's why you better note verse 18. He says in verse 18, after he says he applied his heart to know wisdom and folly and madness, in verse 18 he says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. There's the closing part of education. Do you see that? His despair for in much wisdom and as much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He learned so much. He had degrees and certificates that lined his palace walls. But guess what? Verse 18. He still weeps. He still has sorrow. Life is still a breath. It's still a vapor. It does not gain any lasting permanence. Listen to me. If you think education will solve the greatest difficulties of life, you're wrong. You're wrong. The problems of the world cannot be saved by the more we know. Today, you know what wisdom has gotten to us? Worship of self. And a diagnosis that has addicted people to antidepressants and sent them spiraling down into the very darkness of depression and despair. It has not opened the way to salvation. The result of all of our learning in society is pseudo-diseases and all sorts of pseudo-therapies and all sorts of other things. And the Bible gives us the answer that the problem is sin and death and only God holds the true solution. Hear me. Hear me. Education has its benefits. But here's what Solomon is making clear to us. You can learn and you can learn and you can learn. You can get into the best school, have the best grades, study the most complex subjects, earn multiple degrees, and none of it will save you. 
None of it will lead you to ultimate meaning and lasting satisfaction. You will still live. You will still die. No amount of knowledge or degrees will enable you to master life, to grab a hold of the wind and get answers for the ultimate questions of existence. It just won't. All the while he learned, look at verse 18, and all the wisdom was vexation. There were still tears. There were still funerals. There were still sorrows. There was still aging. It did not change the realities of life under the sun. Our problem, this was said in Sunday school, and it wasn't said by me. It was said somebody in the doorway class. Our problem is we think that we can fix the problems in life with the things of earth. Did you hear that? We think that we can fix the problems of life with the things of earth. And don't just simply push that out on the world. We do the same thing as Christians. Do we really believe this world is not my home? I am only passing through? How tightly are we holding on to the things that won't last? How deeply are we, even as Christians, putting our roots and our stakes into this world? You see, because the truth here is clear. Wisdom and education can't save us from death and lead us to ultimate happiness. So you say, well, man, what is the answer? Well, it's already been given to you. It was given to you in verse 14. God, remember? Who gave us this unhappy business? Guess what he also did? He sent a redeemer. He sent a savior. Because he knew that the university couldn't save us. And so if education can't save us, Christ can. So if you want to be saved, if you're exhausted by the limits of human wisdom... If you are exhausted by the unfulfillment that has come with life. If you are tired of the empty promises that is continuously dealt out by our world of politics and entertainment and education. If you are sick of all of it, guess what? Solomon is leading you to the answer. And the answer is not only the God who has given us this unhappy business, but the God who came in human flesh and was born in a manger and opened his eyes under the sun and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to atone for our sins and went and experienced the very thing that, that, that is the problem for all of us death itself and he went into the tomb and he came out of the tomb and he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he offers salvation to all who will come to him you know what Paul said Paul said that he has counted everything that he thought was important he has simply counted all as loss Not that it wasn't important, but it's loss. In other words, it won't give him any lasting gain. But you know what he has given it up for? That he might know Christ. That he might know Christ and his death and his resurrection. And so today, the righteousness, the forgiveness, the peace, the hope that we need can only be found in Jesus. And through Jesus... You can be made wiser than Solomon. 
So this morning, knowing Jesus doesn't take away the troubles of the fall. It doesn't mean that you're not going to still have to deal with the bad business of living in a fallen world. But what it does for you is it grants you the assurance that Jesus has overcome it. Listen to what he says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I have conquered the futility. I have defeated death. I have overcome sin. And I can save you. So this morning, will you come to Jesus? If you have not experienced salvation. This morning, will you live your short life for him and gain eternal life? You were made to know, worship, and serve him. And when you come to know the Son of God under the Son, then you can receive life in all its gifts, and you can live for the gain of heaven. Let him shepherd your life. Give yourself to him. And Christian, let us rest in Jesus as we stand and as we prepare to worship him. Father, we thank you for your holy and inspired word. God, as we think about the great search for meaning, help us to realize that as, we, as Solomon turns over the stone of education and experience, there's nothing to be found. And while he'll continue to lead us to look at pleasure and to look at buildings and possessions, and to look at all the things that we can receive from this world that ultimately our hope and our satisfaction and our joy can only be found in Christ. And so may we as Christians, may we rest in Jesus. May we store up treasures in heaven after hearing this message from Solomon. May you strengthen our faith in Christ. And may you bring those who are searching to the foot of the cross and to the tomb that is empty, to see that their greatest need is the Savior. In his name, amen.